0: Welcome to The Way Community Podcast. Here you'll find various teachings and messages from within our community and also from guest speakers. If you're interested in finding out more about us, visit our website, the-way.com.au. We pray that this episode edifies you. Only the pre-trib view preserves the doctrine of imminency. So the doctrine that Christ could come at any moment to call his church to be home with him in his Father's house is what we refer to as the doctrine of imminency. If we have a look at the scriptures on the rapture, time and time again, what was the number one phrase that we found came up around the rapture scriptures? I'm thinking of a two-word phrase that started with an E. Eagerly awaits. Eagerly await. We ended up with, what, about nine scriptures that said eagerly await. So to do so means that we expect that it could happen at any moment. If any of the activities in Daniel's 70th week have to take place before the rapture happens, as mid-trib views, definitely post-trib views hold, then it destroys that any time immediate coming and thus invalidates all of those eagerly await scriptures. Do you get what I'm saying? I've got a few blank looks. Let me explain it this way. If... We could be alive to see the Antichrist arise or the horsemen of the apocalypse, that those events start to unfold. If we were able to see um, the mark of the beast start to be in force where you can't buy, sell or trade without the mark, whatever that turns out to be, doesn't matter what it is, it's just that if it began to play out, If any of that stuff that's listed in Daniel's 70th week or or what is um, specifically outlined in Revelation, if any of that could take place before the catching away of the church happened, then it would invalidate the idea that we could be taken at any moment. If any of those things had to come about or had to be fulfilled before we go, then there's no eager waiting. In fact, it's the opposite. Instead of looking for Jesus, you wind up looking for the Antichrist. Because you're saying, I can't go home to be with the Lord until the Antichrist rises. 2 Thessalonians 2, if you're trying to get your head around what I'm saying. So let's have a look at the two great scriptures around this event, which is 1 Thessalonians and um, chapter 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2. But we're going to have a look at um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. The first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, review the things that Paul had already taught to the Thessalonian church. Their conversion, evangelism, and how to care for one another. Now the thing you've got to understand about 1 Thessalonians is if it's not the first, it was certainly one of the first epistles written. One of the first books in the New Testament written was First Thessalonians. And it was written to brand new little baby believers, Greeks, who probably had no concept of Old Testament scripture. Maybe a few did, but they didn't get saved like we do today and go, hey, here's a New Living Translation Bible for you to study in your own language, right? It wasn't like that. There was no printing press. The only way that you got a copy of the Bible, which I may remind you was the Old Testament, was someone had to sit down and handwrite the thing. So these people, (coughs) pardon me, they're living off the knowledge that's coming from Paul to them Oral knowledge, okay? So Paul visits these brand new Christians, weeks, months old in the faith. What's he decide to talk to them about? Evangelism, caring for one another. Oh, and let's talk about what happens at the end too. It's very funny that today... There's a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and one of those highly effective habits is begin with the end in mind. Isn't it interesting that Paul decides that one of the key things that these brand new baby believers needs to understand is what's going to happen when it all wraps up. So he looked ahead, the comfort of our calling and the challenge of our calling. Paul had already landed in Thessalonica and while he was there for two or three weeks, he planted a church and taught them the basics. Later while in Corinth, he learned that they had become concerned over the death of some of their members. They were worried that those who had died would not get to see the return of Christ. So Paul writes to them this very key passage. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Hallelujah. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. I'm not making this up. This is not just my idea. This comes from God. That's what he's saying there. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with the Lord. Now, this idea didn't begin here. Do you remember what Jesus announced to the disciples in the upper room that last night before Gethsemane? Let's have a look at John chapter 14. reading verses 1 to 3. Listen, this is Jesus. He's, He's about to head out to the garden where he is going to be beaten and taken prisoner and eventually led away to the cross. He's in the final moments with his disciples before this event's going to take place. And he says to them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you To myself, that where I am, you may be also. (coughs) Now in first Thessalonians chapter five, there's another key passage. Remember, he's writing to these baby believers. And he says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Why would they know that? Absolutely. Where Where did he get it from? Jesus says it. Isaiah says it. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And they, they shall not escape. I want you to see this. He's saying, you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, for when they say, when they say peace and safety, right, are you hearing what I'm, I'm doing here? them out there, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light. And sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying? You know that the day is coming, it's going to come like a thief in the night and it's going to overtake them and they're going to be looking for peace and safety, but it's going to come upon them and they will not escape. But you are not like them. You're not of the darkness. You don't get, you're not in drunkenness and and of the darkness. You are awake, you are sober, you are alert. You are nothing like them. And you are not appointed to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath. Now you you have to say, well, what wrath, Todd? What wrath? The day of wrath. You are not appointed to that, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And and remember, context. He has already said in the previous chapter, the day's going to come, the the trumpet, the loud noise, and, and the dead are going to rise, and then we're all going to be caught up, and we're going to be with the Lord in the air, and all that's going to happen before, All these these terrible things are going to take place because you're not appointed to rise. This is good stuff. So he's talking about the children of darkness. Jesus will come as a thief in the night to the children of the night. The children of the day will know the season so that they won't be caught by surprise. But the key passage is verse 9 when it says, there is a time of God's wrath coming, which the Lord Jesus Christ himself labels as the great tribulation, which the church will not be subject to. So that, that scripture there gives us great hope that we are, we are protected, we are removed from this event. Now, the second thing that I want to show you is this concept of the man of sin and the restrainer. So 2 Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians alleviated their concerns for a while, but then another letter was being circulated in Thessalonica, a forgery claiming to be from Paul. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians in response to that upsetting letter. The second chapter of 2 Thessalonians is one of the most important prophetic chapters in the New Testament. We'll look at it carefully because it deals with the order of events around which there is much confusion. The Thessalonian church was starting to come under intense persecution. So they assumed that they had entered the Great Tribulation. Anyone heard this scenario before? They were very upset because that implied either they had missed the rapture or Paul had taught them incorrectly. Otherwise, if you assume Paul had taught them that the rapture would follow the tribulation, why would they be upset? You following my logic? If Paul, in his weeks that he had spent with them, had told them about this rapture and the tribulation, and in their mind the rapture came after the tribulation, then persecution would not upset them. It would excite them. You see what I'm saying? Because they would be thinking, well, this is what was promised. It that there'd be tribulation and then the rapture comes. So this is a good thing, but they're not. These young baby Christians are going, terrible things are happening. This must be what he spoke about. We've missed the rapture. You following me? To add to their trauma is this forgery claiming that the day of the Lord had indeed come. So in the letter, we know as we know Second Thessalonians, Paul dealt with the misapprehensions caused by the false letter being circulated, inverted commas, as if from us, as it says. So let's go have a look at this scripture. <coughs> so 2 Thessalonians. We'll read verse 1 and 2 to start. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. So if they'd been taught a post or mid-trib view, they would have rejoiced at the tribulation because that would mean that the second coming was much closer. But they're troubled because they'd been taught that they would be raptured before the tribulation. Because of this fraudulent letter, they figured one of two things. Either Paul had not caught them correctly or that they'd missed it. In the second chapter, Paul talks about events that had to precede the tribulation, right? Because he's he's outlining for them what's going to take place. As I said when we were looking at this, he's not trying to give deep Gnostic mysticism. He's talking to baby Christians and he's going, okay... Kids, let me spell this out for you. ABC, make it plain so that you understand and you're not scared. That's what he's doing. He's not trying to go, I can see that you're scared, so let me tell you some ghost stories. right? He's not doing that. He's trying to allay their fears and make it clear what's going to take place. So let's read on, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first. Falling away, your your Bible might say great rebellion, but the term that is, is used in this is like the falling away. Unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember when I was still with you I told you these things? Now, it's interesting to realise that these topics were issues that Paul had already taught them in those few weeks when he first founded the church. So Paul is actually reminding them of issues that he had taught them from Daniel 9, right? So let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless unless the falling away comes first. So the easiest assumption is that this is referring to a general apostasy that although some exegetical experts suggest that that this too may be alluding to the rapture, but it seems that the most common idea is that there will be, before these events take place, that there will be a great apostasy in the world, okay? Personally, I think he's talking about the rapture, but let's go with standard ideas. Then he says, and the man of sin is revealed. This person will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God, including Allah. Right? Because it says he will exalt himself above everyone and everything that is called God, including Allah sorry yeah and the cows that the Indians worship yeah 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 cows and Allah <laughs> and then Paul says he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God <clears throat> and this is how we know that the temple is going to be rebuilt Jesus, Paul and John all make reference to this event. The temple has been similarly desecrated previously throughout history. And, uh, you know, we we actually had a bit of a look at that. But it will also happen again in the 70th week of Daniel. This man of sin is going to be a great world leader. He will be accepted as by Jews as their Messiah. He'll be accepted as the 12th Imam of the Mahdi by the Muslims. And he'll be the leader of the world for a time. He will be incredibly attractive in every respect and the whole world will worship him but something else has to happen first. This guy, these things are going to happen, but something has to happen first. First apostasy, then rapture, then the man of sin will be revealed. And only then does the day of the Lord occur. But Paul goes on about this man of sin. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Notice that? Are you perishing? No. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Have you received the love of the truth? That they might be saved. Have you been saved? So when this event takes place, and this lawless one does these things, it's among a people who have not received the love of the truth that they might be saved. They're perishers. They're people who perish. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So this passage seems to indicate that those who reject the message of the gospel before the rapture will be especially susceptible to the great lie that will assure their destruction. So it's dangerous to say, well, I'll just wait and take my chances during the tribulation. Now, the time for salvation is now. And the time for your family's salvation is now. And the time for your friend's salvation is now. The time for your workmate's salvation is now. And the time for your neighbor's salvation is now. Because what this is telling us is that there is going to be a delusion that is going to come on the world that is going to fool all these people that you love, and that if you are banking on the fact that you've been taken in the rapture to wake your family up, this scripture is suggesting that it is going to be the opposite. And, And this is the thing. If you believe the stuff that I'm telling you, it's going to make you share your faith. Have I made that scripture make a little more sense? I really want you to get your head around that picture right there. Apostasy, rapture, then the man of sin, then the day of the Lord. The the man of sin cannot be revealed until the restrainer is removed. And who's the restrainer? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, it's not the angel Michael. It's not healthy government. It's, you see, the, the, what I want you to understand is that he was talking to brand new Christians. And he says to them, and you know who restrains, right? It's like brand new baby Christians, you know who's restraining, who's holding all this back. Yeah, I do, Uncle Paul. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> hey, are you getting, you know, we, see, this is the thing. We're, we've allowed Kabbalah ideology to get in. We go, we read these scriptures and we're looking for like deep, hidden, mystical, Gnostic meanings behind all of this it's not he's writing to you like you're a five-year-old and he's wanting to make it make sense so when he says and you know who's restraining i do uncle paul there's only one big powerful power in the universe that can hold back the antichrist that would be the christ so that'd have to be the holy spirit uncle paul You get what I'm saying? All right. The next thing that I want you to see is, um, and I challenge you to do this, is uh, have a read of Revelation chapter 4 onwards in your own time and underline all the times that you see the church. I will guarantee you, you will not need a pen. Mm -hmm. The church is mentioned 17 times in the first three chapters of Revelation. 17 times, people. And it is not mentioned at all after the end of chapter 3. And why? Because the church is not in the tribulation. So it's not mentioned conversely one could say because you don't find the church after chapter 3 one can assume that the absence of any mention of of the church is the evidence that we are not there now you might say but Todd I read in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and other places, it says the saints and the elect. Well, that's us, right? Well, you know, as um, I, I really like to say, you know, it's, it's just not all about you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And there, there are saints, there are people who follow Jesus, who are in the tribulation, but they're not you. And if you go and read, it makes it clear that they are not you. It, it describes them. They are totally different. We are described as having crowns and throwing them down. And, you know, there's all, all these descriptions in, in the first part about when we're in heaven. But then we see all these untold millions who are dressed in white robes and have palm branches and they're singing a new song And the angel turns to John and says, who are these? And John goes, bloat if I know. Well, he doesn't say that. That's my Australian vernacular. Uh, Chapter 5, I think it is. Sorry. Revelation, chapter 5. I'm I'm pretty sure it's there, 5 or 6, somewhere around there. It says, here are these. You might look it up for me while I'm talking about it. Who are these that are dressed in white with their palm branches and singing this new song? And John goes, I don't know. Never seen them before in my life. And they are not familiar to him. And the angel says, these are those who were saved out of great tribulation. So it's a totally different group of people. Separate to us, and the great thing is there's millions of them, isn't that wonderful? But they've all died, <laughs> and they're now in heaven, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's they got there through death, <laughs> yeah. So, interesting. So I, I I challenge you to go and have a look, and you'll you'll see that you will not find the church after the end of chapter three, because we're just not there. So because of these things, the the lack of of seeing in in when we get into the specifics of what happens in the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, the the um, the uh, 42, the two lots of 42 months, the, you, you know, the, all the different names that has the, the two lots of 1260 days, the, the seven years, right? All of these names, which all point to what we refer to generally as the day of wrath. Because the church is not in that, there's no mention, we can safely say we're not there. Revelation 3.10 specifically is telling us, and remember, these scriptures don't stand alone. They're in context with one another. This is put just before he, John starts outlining all of this. He says, because you have persevered, you will be saved from this day of wrath, which I'm about to describe, Do you see what I'm saying? And both 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul writing to his brand new baby Christians is spelling out, spelling it out for them as ABCs so that they can understand and not be afraid. Because I don't want you to be afraid, he says at the conclusion of chapter 4. He says, encourage one another with these words. That there's going to be. The, the rising up of the dead, right? You don't have to worry, right? We, you haven't seen that happen yet, so it's okay. The dead are going to rise. You will in no way precede those who have died. So that he's telling them that so that they understand you're not going to go on your own. This stuff can't happen without your brothers and sisters in Christ rising from the dead first, and so if you haven't seen that happen yet, guess what? It's all okay. You haven't missed out. And you're not in the 70th week of Daniel. <laughs> so he's, he's making it perfectly clear. So I'm hoping that that has helped round out for you why I believe that the rapture of the church is pre-tribulational, that the tribulation will be a real thing. It's not an allegory, it's actually going to happen. It is, I am a futurist, I believe it is going to happen in the future. But a futurist makes it sound like I'm kooky? No, a futurist means I don't believe it happened in the past. I don't believe that Jesus has already returned. I don't believe his feet have touched the Mount of Olives. I don't believe that the Antichrist has stood in the temple. Right? I believe that all of that is, has not taken place, therefore it has to take place in the future. So to be a futurist is not to be a kook. To be a futurist means that you recognise, I look at history, I look at the Bible, they don't match up, therefore that stuff is still yet to be fulfilled. Yep? Alrighty, well that's that's basically it around this subject. Yes, Brit. It was Revelation 7. Thank you. Thank you. And it it makes it clear that it's the saints or the ones that died in the Great Tribulation. Yep. These are those that died in the Great Tribulation. So there you go. Alrighty. So these scriptures are my foundation stones as to why I believe a New Testament... uh, Sorry, a pre-tribulational rapture and so it is great encouragement. You don't have to worry about, oh, is Obama the, the, the Antichrist or is, you know. Yeah, yeah, the Pope is the Pope. The Antichrist. It doesn't matter because whoever he is, he's not going to be revealed until we're gone either. So stop worrying about the Antichrist. You don't have to worry about it. You see, this is the thing. All these other views, they, they, keep, they keep saying that we're the kooks, right? But they're looking for the Antichrist all the time because for them, all that stuff has to happen before Jesus can appear. No, 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 not for me. My eyes are firmly on my Saviour, the founder of, of my faith, the, the, my rock and my salvation. My eyes are on Him and him alone. The other guys, they're not even going to get a look in until I'm gone. So I don't need to worry about them. Does that mean that I'm never going to face tribulation? No, no, no. There, there will be trials. There will be persecution. There, there will be terrible things that will happen to us believers because we are, are willing to stand for Jesus but not flying scorpions, <laughs> not stars falling from the, the sky, not the ocean turning to blood, right? It's, we, we don't have to worry about those things. We may have to worry about Muslims trying to cut their heads off or, you know, crazy people trying to blow us up with bombs. We might have to worry about drowning in red tape just trying to have a meeting. We might might have to worry about our neighbours throwing rotten eggs at us when we drive past. We might have to worry about those things. But you do not have to worry about the Antichrist. You do not have to worry about the moon turning to blood or the sky, the sun being darkened. You don't have to worry about wormwood falling to the earth. None of those things are any of our concern. They are real. And they will happen, but they're not for us because we are not appointed to wrath. Amen and amen, here endeth the lesson.